Welcome to the discussion, Exploiting the Dark Web to Gain Information Advantage, sponsored by CACI on Federal News Network. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. Welcome. My guests today are Corey Everton, the head of Bluestone Analytics at CACI, and Jim Schrant, the director of strategy and growth also at CACI. Corey, Jim, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you, Jason. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. When it comes to open source intelligence, most experts believe the intelligence community remains in the early stages of embracing it as a discipline. OSINT, as it's called, is generally defined as unclassified information, often publicly or commercially available, like social media feeds or cell phone data. The use of open source isn't new, but intelligence officials have been working for more than a year to standardize OSINT efforts. Former officials last year established a new OSINT foundation to advocate for a greater focus on OSINT, including professionalization and training. But for analysts to gain really a full picture of what's going on across all sectors, across all areas of the world, agencies need to consider going into the dark web. And that's where we're going to start our discussion. Corey, jump in here. The dark web, it sounds scary. It's dark. It's webby. What is it? Why should people know and and understand it when we talk about open source intelligence? Yeah, the dark web is a very important piece of the open source intelligence puzzle. The dark web is just the part of the internet that's not visible to search engines and not accessible using your standard browser technology. It requires the use of specialized technology to access that part of the internet. In reality, it's also not a nefarious place just by default. It was actually funded uh, with a majority of funding by the US government and designed as as a safe space for individuals to be able to access outside communication, to access outside information without fear of censorship. In reality, just like any other technology, it has many nefarious purposes. What we see is that a number of threat actors take advantage of the anonymity that the environment provides to use it for illicit activities. Corey, when you talk about uh, a specialized technology, I got to download another uh, search engine. What, what, what do you mean by Special technology. I think people who maybe have never, and I have to be one of them, I've never visited the dark web. What do I need to do to visit it? Or maybe I don't want to. <laughs> um, I think that's a great point. I think it depends on which type of dark net you're talking about. There's actually more than one uh, technology that is out there. Tor is the most common dark net. And for Tor, it is as easy as downloading another browser. You can even put it on your cell phone, your mobile device. So. Tor, very easily accessible. Some of the other dark nets like I2P, Freenet, uh, ZeroNet, those are gonna require additional configurations to properly set up and remain anonymous. I appreciate that. I think a lot of us have heard about Tor. I think that was the, uh, I think my, I had yelled at my kids one day for stop downloading stuff from Tor or something, but that's a whole different discussion, <laughs> right? Let's talk a little bit about why this is, gaining kind of interest in, in why should agencies understand that that is an option for open source? Uh, I know, Jim, do you want to jump in a little bit? So one of the big problems with the dark web, it's the anonymous nature naturally allows the threat actors to utilize that anonymity to conduct a number of um, nefarious activities that really are a challenge to national security and specifically the interests of the U.S. government. Those range from Chinese companies being able to market and ultimately conduct business of fentanyl, fentanyl precursors and the elements needed to produce fentanyl to Mexican cartels and then ultimately back to U.S. citizens, to child exploitation and 
human trafficking that occurs over the dark web, all the way to rogue states and rogue threat actors being able to communicate post messages, post hacked and leaked data across the dark web. So it really becomes a significant threat, um, both to national security, the interests of the US government, and to everyday citizens with all of that cumulative threat activity occurring on the dark web. The threat piece is people, I think, think about, well, maybe I'm not allowed to use the dark web, maybe I shouldn't get into it, is at the same time, the benefits, as, as Corey talked about, is it was created by the federal, the US federal government to help kind of communicate, to help have a place where maybe censorship can't happen. Um, is that why there's maybe this, there's a misunderstanding because people only hear the negative side of it? So from the US government point of view, what we want to be able to help enable the US government to do is get onto the dark web to really accomplish agency mission and agency mission objectives that, are, that would be better facilitated through the dark web. So some of the barriers to the US government is the technology and being able to access it, having the appropriate level of training, understanding to once you're on it, to be able to operate effectively. And then whether it be to derive intelligence for intelligence objectives, derive evidence for law enforcement objectives, understanding how to synthesize that entire workflow and process to really achieve those, those governmental objectives that ultimately help lead to national security. I think you hit upon a couple of points that we should hit upon. Barriers, technology, appropriate training, obviously the workforce, uh, understanding how to synthesize, because I'm sure it's one of those things like anything on the web, the overload of data, how do you take it all in? How do you understand what's important? So let's maybe start with the technology. Corey mentioned this idea of maybe having to uh, download a specific browser or do some other things. Uh, is it also the, the technology is, hey, maybe that's not allowed on government machines? Is that also a, a big issue? Like, oh, I'm, I, I can't access that. I'm, I can't even get to ESPN because they don't want me watching sports during the day. Uh, I don't know, Corey, you want to jump in here on, on the tech side? Yeah, this is a really important um, consideration as well. There's a lot of risk associated with accessing these different dark nets. As you can imagine, there's often a lot of malware on um, the websites or the leaked data that you might want to download. And so bringing that onto a government system would pose an enormous risk. And that sort of exposure is, is what we would like to minimize. However, there's a huge learning curve that can be greatly shortened by using technology designed to make sure that you have a safe and secure way to access these environments without exposing your hardware, your agency, um, your individual IP address. And that's where we can step in and help shorten that learning curve to help give you that information advantage. So one of the problems that the US government is facing, and as you had mentioned earlier, Jason, as the US government is trying to both reorganize itself and look at policy and, and process improvements, particularly through OSINT. Dark web's very much part of what that OSINT space looks like. And through information advantage, which for us we define as really the ability to collect, synthesize, and unify open source information into a cohesive package of information to help the government make better decisions, ultimately to drive mission and, and objectives. There's a lot of barriers to entry, and especially in something as technologically sophisticated and intimidating as the darknet, from both a policy standpoint and from a, um, just a, a technical access standpoint. So what we want to help government achieve, both through our expertise, 
guidance and the technology enablement component is the ability to get on safely. Because as Corey mentioned, the risk is considerable because you're really going on to a highly sophisticated, decentralized, but diverse technical environment that is the dark net. So you've got a lot of threat actors that really know what they're doing. So we want to be able to provide those government agencies with the ability to get on there, but do it in, in a safe and anonymous manner and help do it within the policy confines that that particular agency through its authorities is able to operate. So part of what we're able to do with helping these agencies accomplish information advantage is help work through and, and achieve those technical goals and those policy goals to really enable those, those very clear outcomes. You mentioned policy goals. There's a side to that, which is the legal and regulatory issues. We want to get there in just a second. Uh, but I want to go back to the technical piece. Are a lot of times when you talk about the moving to the dark web, you're in a environment that is not connected to anything else. The cloud makes the easy sense, but even the cloud is connected to other clouds. You know, it's, it's as we all know how it works by now. Or are you in a, you know, you have one machine that is going to the dark web and, and that's all that machine does. So there's no worry about hopping or leaking or, 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 or the, the, the cyber, all the cyber things. Is that kind of how it works, generally speaking? Corey, you want to jump in? I would say not necessarily. Uh, okay. Using the Tor browser, for instance, you can actually access open web websites as well. It's not just going to restrict you to uh, what are called onion sites. Those are the dark web Tor sites. Some of the other nets don't allow you that same flexibility, but it can all happen in the same uh, on the same computer, just within different browsers. And that is where your risk of exposure can come from. What you can do though, is use things like virtual machines or misattribution platforms that allow you to reduce the risk, reduce your exposure, reduce that surface area of what is touching the dark net or those pieces of the internet that you may not want to leak your information to, or vice versa, have information come back from those systems that are then potentially compromising your systems. So what we're able to do through khaki tools, specifically Dark Blue and Dark Pursuit, is imagine the Google of the dark web, if you would. So we're able to allow a government agency to safely get on and assess both what's on the dark web and what has been on the dark web historically in very much sort of a Google search type capability, but all completely in a safe environment that protects that government user and that government agency's identity. Through Dark Pursuit, we're able to really enable that government agency and user to get on and actually be an active member inside the dark web. So we're able to really enable two very specific capabilities in a very safe and policy compliant manner. Let's jump over to the legal regulatory side. I'm sure somebody's going, okay, great. I, I can use Tor, I can use some of these other tools, but can I actually use them? And, and, and Jim, why don't you start with some of the, what are some of those regulatory legal issues agencies need to keep in mind? So every agency is doing their own legal assessment in terms of what that looks like, both between um, commercially available information, publicly available information, and, and um, the Director of National Intelligence is really leading to help make it more accessible for government agencies because it's such a critical data point, which is open source. Because as we see encryption start to increase, um, both across society and specifically across threat actors, the ability to harness and utilize this open source data, ultimately to help that agency achieve an information advantage is absolutely necessary. So we're seeing a lot of, of 
policy advancements. But speaking towards specifically the dark web is, it is it's, it's completely legal to access and, and engage on. What those levels of engagements are, which range anywhere from mere observation and conducting a Google search of the dark web and what is happening on the dark web, to, to more um, direct engagements, those sort of vary from agency to agency. But part of what we're able to do through CACI is work with that agency to help um, enable whatever those required tools are that are requisite with those, those agency um, authorities. When you talk about the policy that ODNI is helping, maybe just touch upon that a little bit if you can. Is it just a, hey, we put out a policy document that says it's okay, or are they doing more? Is it around kind of the training, the, the, the education of this is what it is and this is why it's important? So most importantly, it is, it's to really identify for the agencies why open source exploitation is essential to achieving mission success. And you bring up a great point, Jason, which is that success is really going to be driven through a couple key components. First is obviously the technical ability to, to go on and do OSINT investigations or utilize OSINT information to help drive those objectives. Secondly is on very specific um, um, technologies such as the dark web, the ability to have the proper tools to be able to access to conduct what that government mission is on those specific technologies is important. Once again, just having technology without an understanding of how to utilize it is not enough. So that training component becomes a critical step to make sure that those, those government investigators, those government analysts are able to understand not only how to drive the technologies, but what the left and right limits are so that they can operate safely for their own purposes, for the agency's purposes, and then for mission success, really be able to do everything in a very unified and sound manner. So part of this policy unification, and then for us at CACI, the ability to unify those capabilities, those authorities, and that training into one bundled package to achieve information advantage is, is, is critical to government success. Jim, you mentioned a bunch of the key components. We're going to get into that in the next segment. First, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back. Uh, you're listening to the discussion, Exploiting the Dark Web to Gain Information Advantage, sponsored by CACI on Federal News Network. For more than 60 years, CACI has built a powerful ecosystem of innovative technology. With industry-leading software as a pillar of strength, CACI's award-winning dark blue intelligence platform powered by AWS enables users to search, analyze, and visualize mission-critical open-source intelligence across the open, deep, and dark web. CACI provides safe and secure access to billions of data records, delivering information advantage to analysts and operators across the world. Learn more. Visit CACI.com slash dark web. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Exploiting the Dark Web to Gain Information Advantage, sponsored by CACI on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guests today are Corey Everton, the head of Bluestone Analytics at CACI, and Jim Schrant, the director of strategy and growth also at CACI. In the last segment, we talked a lot about what is the dark web. We talked kind of some education about the, the technology that's behind it or within it or around it. <laughs> But there are things that I think folks need to know about risks. And it's not just use it or don't, it's understanding when you use it, what you need to be aware of, how you need to balance it. So Corey, I'm gonna to go to you, start this uh, segment and talk a little bit about what are some of those risks that agencies and, and really anyone really should keep in mind. Sure, we've highlighted some of the risks already in the earlier segment, talking a little bit about the risk of malware, but there's a lot more than just that, that you're risking exposure to when you enter the dark web. One of the most important 
risk that you have to mitigate against is actually exposure to the violent or offensive imagery that can can and does exist in these networks. It's one of the primary avenues for, for sharing that information that would be more moderated on the open web websites and kind of protecting the analyst's mental health in this space is, is vitally important as well. There's also the, the risk of your signature and the risk of prying eyes in this environment. Who's watching what your, your infrastructure is connecting to, where you're connecting from, all of that can add additional exposure to your agency and could, could impact your mission success. So you've really got uh, you know, the exposure of your, your agency at risk. You have the exposure of your hardware via the malware, and then also just that the agent themselves and their exposure to the violent and offensive imagery that persists. Is there ways to mitigate those risks? Um, I know there are, but like maybe how do you stay out of the violent and offensive imagery till you only focus on the things you really need to focus on? Or is it like anything else, you know not to search certain keywords on Google for fear of getting back some uh, results you don't want? I think it's, it's a combination of things. I think one is training and having that OSINT training to know how to safely navigate in that environment and what technology exists to help mitigate those risks. And technology is that other component. And there are a lot of technologies such as Dark Blue and Dark Pursuit that can help minimize those risks, whether it be uh, producing a text-only view of the information or the ability to blur images so that you're not having unnecessary exposure. Jim, is that part of the challenge that a lot of agencies are facing when it comes to, do we use the dark web? How do we use the dark web? Is the fear of, I don't really know what I don't know, and the and only, only thing I know is it's bad, there's violent images, there's, there's offensive imagery, I'd, I'd rather just not play in that world at all? That's exactly the case, Jason. So the intention almost universally across government agencies is a strong desire to want to be more effective in utilization of open source intelligence and then make it work for what their missions are. However, the risks are considerable. So that risk calculus, whether it be understanding what the technical risks are, understanding what the policy and legal risks are, or simply the risks of exposure to really offensive images to uh, the analyst within an agency. So those are, are really important things that every agency is, are trying to weigh and consider. And what's important is, with our information advantage strategy, we've really come to unify and mitigate those risks for the government by enabling the appropriate technology to get the government on safely and make sure that they're able to operate in an anonymous environment where that agency risk in terms of those prying eyes from those technical threats aren't gonna come back to trace it back. Additionally, the ability to really exploit all the material that's out there in a sensitive manner. So the ability to blur images, do things to really protect the workforce, and equally important is making sure that you have a well-trained workforce that really knows what they're doing so they don't unintentionally put themselves or the agency at unnecessary risk. So those are clear risk mitigation factors that we're in a position to really help the government achieve so that they're able to get those operational successes. I want to go back to something that Corey said just briefly because I don't think we spent enough time on it. And Corey, you make a really great point about protecting or, or helping the, to ensure that the mental health of the analysts are, are taken into account. 
that a lot of times when we go into the world of intelligence and the world of analysts, whether it's cyber or open source or, or human, that, that mental health side doesn't get talked about. Is that a recognition among agencies that that is an important aspect of this entire effort? Is that growing? Is it new? Is it something that we've seen a big change recently? I think it's growing. I think that awareness is growing and the acknowledgement of it and the need for opportunities to minimize that is, is certainly kind of at the forefront of a lot of the decisions on how do you access this, this environment safely and securely. The risk of exposure is very great to content that is just not present on the open web and can really take a toll on uh, an individual's health. And I think acknowledging that, but also acknowledging that our adversaries know that and sometimes use our reluctance to, to enter those environments as an advantage. We have to find ways to mitigate the risk while still acting in these environments in a way that protects health and also doesn't let us not go into these areas just because they're dark. There's ways to safely do that and securely do that without sacrificing mental health. I think it, it, it really speaks to the value and the risk of open source intelligence, because a, a great example is in law enforcement, there was always strong attention paid toward um, investigators and analysts working um, sexual crimes units crimes against children because there is a clear mental impact. So there's maturity in that space. Well, with the open source, where it really becomes Pandora's box of opportunities to help achieve greater intelligence understanding, you get into some really dark corners of that box really quickly and oftentimes unintentionally. So one of the key components is obviously the training to understand it, but this is where the technology abilities to once again, not see something that, that you don't have to see, or you can choose to see it or not see it, becomes really important to not only conducting just, just your daily mission, but to keep yourself in as healthy a position as possible. So we're seeing greater um, value placed on that by agencies, and certainly the, the, the technological capabilities are mirroring that to make sure that we can ensure that, that um, uh, enablement happens. Jim, Corey, we've talked a lot about the big picture. Let's drill down a little bit. Is We know open source is being used within the government. We know ODNI, Army, uh, and I did some research prior to our conversation today. Uh, it's a lot of folks talking about open source. When it comes to the dark web, are there actually agencies who are taking advantage of it? Or are agencies using it to improve their mission? Jim, you want to start us off? There are. We're increasingly seeing um, monthly, if not weekly, a growing list of agencies that if not are showing interest, are actively engaged in um, conducting their missions and fully utilizing their missions in the dark web. That becomes important as we start to dive into what those threats look like on the dark web. So a great example of it is the fentanyl threat. The fentanyl threat on the dark web is immense and it really represents what that entire threat structure to the US government looks like. You have a range from Chinese chemical companies that are openly selling pure fentanyl, they're selling the precursor chemicals to produce fentanyl, and then the elements such as pill presses to stamp out those counterfeit fentanyl pills all on the dark web. Who's that customer? That customer most oftentimes 
ends up being Mexican cartels that want to conduct their business in an anonymous environment. So that becomes a ready point of both information exchange and the ability to conduct these transactions to these key components to fentanyl. We also see American citizens directly going on the dark web to acquire these pure fentanyl, fentanyl components, or pill presses and et cetera, to help really drive that. And where we're in an environment where we're likely to exceed 120,000 overdoses in 2023, um, overdose fatalities in 2023, that becomes a very clear national security threat that is actively operating in an hourly basis on the dark web. Corey, uh, there's other examples too. Uh, I think Jim's uh, example of fentanyl, and I imagine that includes the FBI, includes probably Customs Border Protection, and includes a bunch of different agencies who all play a role in that. Are there other ones that are maybe people may not think about? Fentanyl, unfortunately, is a top of mind for many reasons. Yes, I think uh, a very important uh, data source that we, we find on the dark web are leaked data sources from ransomware groups, from hacker groups, and these may be operating uh, and actually targeting nation states or working for nation states, and they're distributing that information in a way that allows individuals to go out and collect that information. And it can be incredibly vital to national security to be aware of what information is available out there. Another data source that we see and uh, an admission that we can support on the dark web is, you know, Jim mentioned the, the child sexual abuse material. We can combat those crimes against children by targeting this environment where threat actors are using the environment to share and distribute their abuse material, and you can help disrupt those networks as well. So that mission applicability of what's happening on the dark web from a threat standpoint really transcends federal law enforcement Department of Defense and what a lot of their missions look like, and also the intelligence community. Because as, as Corey spoke to, it ranges anywhere from Mexican and, and cartels to Chinese chemical suppliers to nation states or rogue actors operating against nation states, posting that information out there. So that ability to get on and really harness that and, and exploit it from a U.S. government standpoint really becomes essential. Jim, Corey, we've got about less than a minute left, so I just want to give you both maybe about 30 seconds or less. What's the big takeaway from our conversation today? We talked a lot about the workforce. We talked a lot about training. We talked a lot about guardrails, cautions. What, what do you want to make sure that we leave the audience with? Corey, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think for me, it's just that the, the dark web is a vital part of the OSINT data cycle. We have the technology to be able to safely and securely operate in this environment and not leave any important data clues unturned. And, and Jim, you'll give you the last word. Exploitation of open source data is absolutely essential to the government mission. Through proper technology, through training, and then ultimately the right industry partners, that ability to really obtain um, information advantage is, is apparent. However, it's, it's a process. And I think there's a number of processes that really need to be driven and, and aggressively pursued in order to do that because it's a very achievable mission. Very much enjoyed our conversation today. I learned a lot, uh, and, and I know we'll have more to talk about this in the, in the coming months and, and, and uh, years. But that's all the time we have for today. So thank let you, me Jason. thank my guests. Corey Everton is the head of the Bluestone Analytics at CACI. Corey, thank you so much. Thank you. And Jim Schrantz is the Director of Strategy and Growth also at CACI. Jim, thank you. Thank you, Jason. 
I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Exploiting the Dark Web to Gain Information Advantage, sponsored by CACI on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search CACI. Thank you for listening to the discussion Exploiting the Dark Web to Gain Information Advantage, sponsored by CACI on Federal News Network.